You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey, good morning. We're in John chapter 4, if you want to open up to that. If you need a Bible or want a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So come up and see someone after the sermon up here and we can take care of that. So we're in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. It's up on the screens if you want to follow along there as well. So verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus came down and healed his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed in all of his household. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Can be seated, and the children can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Um, I recently, uh, a few weeks back, received a text from my friend, Rick Meyer, and he's also my community group leader, and um, just I love that guy. He's probably in the room somewhere. Um, and here's what the text said. There was a few guys on it. It said, fellas, I'm in the hospital. I just cut my finger pretty good. Not clean off, but close. I'd appreciate your prayers. Now, if you're squeamish, don't look at this next. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Chad was like, wait, I, I don't remember. We're not going to do that. But, um, but if you want to see it, you should ask Rick. Oh, my. Uh, this past week at community group, just so you know, our, our community group, guys hanging out in Rick's driveway around the fire this week, and we talked about Jesus and life and stuff, and it was just sweet. But one of the things Rick was saying was he mentioned that um, in that moment, we're just kind of asking him questions or whatever, and, and like the desperation of like knowing what just happened, and there's frightening stuff going on and probably shock and like just, you know, stuff happening. And, and what he said was like, I didn't really know what else to do, so I, I thought like, and like soliciting prayer would be a good first response. And then he like got himself to the hospital and got sewn up for the time being and all that stuff. And so there, there are lots of things that uh, in, in, in this life that can send us to kind of the end of control like that. Maybe you're like, ah, I've been there. I, I understand cutting a finger on a table saw is, is one of those things, but it's not the only thing. Um, a parent watching their child suffer through a broken relationship or, or sickness or addiction or any sort of thing um, where, where you just come to the end and, and you no longer have control. Or <clears throat> for some, maybe it's loneliness that seems so heavy 
in isolating that you wonder like even about your own existence and, and why and, and what if and all those things. Maybe it's like personal injury or a, a devastating diagnosis or, or loss of your financial means. Um, the list could go on and on. End of ourselves. At first thought, all those things sound really terrible and they sound devastating and, and maybe even hopeless and purposeless. Um, no one would write those things into the script of our own lives. If we were like, this is how my life's going to go, and, and, and these are the, uh, what's your five-year plan? No one's going to put any of those things in, your, in their five-year plan. No one's going to put any of those things in their life at all, and yet many, most, maybe all, at some point, find ourselves at, at one point or another, at the end of ourselves, desperate. Maybe today a good place to start is to kind of just put yourself there. And maybe it's by experience, and maybe it's by imagination only. But, but put yourself there and ask, like, when you find yourself desperate, not only, like, what do you do, but, like, what is happening inside of you? And in the moment, maybe you can't figure that out and you can't reflect and you can't evaluate because there's just stuff happening. But, but what is happening inside of you when, when, when you have lost control over the, the thing that you hold dear or whatever it is, what's happening inside of you? And, and secondly, maybe like where do you turn if you could observe and reflect on the impulses of your head and your heart when you're at the end of yourself, where do you, where do you turn? Today is, a, I mean, honestly, a pretty simple reading, a pretty simple story of, about Jesus healing someone. <clears throat> and there's danger in us for reading this. A, a couple of things. One, there is danger in our assumption. You might say something like this. Well, yeah, of course, we read about Jesus doing this a lot. Of course, we read about the apostles doing that in the book of Acts and the Spirit working all sorts of ways. Of course, he heals people. And yet, we would find some disconnect between the pages of this book and our life. Of course, he does that. Yet, we're not drawn to ask him for those things, as if this book and our reality are two separate things. And, and maybe another uh, a danger is just disbelief. Like you, you read this or you, you hear Adam reading this focal passage or you, you hear me talking about it and you say, yeah, no way. Like this is clearly a marketing ploy from John, the writer. He's trying to persuade us. And, and then maybe you would go a little further and you would say, if he has healed, then why didn't he heal? If he has healed, then, then why am I not healed? But if we believe God's word and we see God's work, we are confronted with a life that is transformed, a life that is changed. One who might have considered Jesus with disbelief, just like us, or assumption, just like us, until he meets Jesus himself, this elite government official, in contrast to the religious elite that we met just a chapter ago, or, or to the social and religious outcasts that we met in, in the same chapter, just before this. He, he finds himself in desperate 
need. And because of it, his faith in Jesus is, is re-sculpted. His faith in, in general, but certainly his faith in Jesus, it's reshaped, it's transformed in a way that, that it may not have ever been through any other means. Big idea. Sometimes desperation is the tool God uses to reshape our faith. John 5, 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, right? We read about that just a few chapters ago. He, he kind of moved on and he came back into town. And maybe a, a few weeks, uh, maybe a month, something like that later, uh, whose son was ill. An official, we don't know anything about him. We know that he was official and probably of the king's court. And, and so that tells us something about him, right? And what we're going to see is that, that this official's desperation is what God uses to, to conform him, to transform him. And we'll see it in three ways. The first one is this desperation expands our faith, All right? Des desperation expands our faith. Let me read on in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, and, and again, so much that we don't know. He was here last month, and, and everybody, like the town was abuzz about the water to wine thing, and like, that was weird. Like he went to the wedding, and, and there was a bunch of water, and he turned it into wine, the best wine. So it's like, yeah, that Jesus guy, like, what is he about? Like, and there are like this, those guys and some fishermen, some other kind of ragtag group of people that are following him around. He's a, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, he's saying things that seem to be profound. But, but other than that, like, they don't know what's going on. They don't have the epistles from Paul to explain systematic theology. They just heard that this Jesus guy's coming and he's like really shaking things up in the religious community. So, so, so he, he goes to them. He went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Right? So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Come, like, come with me to my home. Or, or It seems to be kind of what he's indicating. Like, come home with me and heal my son. And Jesus is like, man, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What, what's happening here is, is his desperation is expanding his faith. Notice right away the official has faith. And like he has faith several times, but it looks quite different uh, as we read on. He has faith. It's just desperate, last ditch. All other hopes and all other options are exhausted. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe this magic man might be able to help me, my son, since everything else has failed type of faith. It's desperate faith, baseline. Like in football, you would call this a, a Hail Mary, which has some troubling theology but the idea is, is this. It's, it's uh, to the point uh, of, of the game plan didn't work. It's the end of the game. The officials or the clock management, the personnel, the, the play calling, whatever it was, everything that we set out to do has failed. And here is one last chance. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just throw it up. And if there is a God, we're going to pray. Who knows, maybe someone will catch it. 
You, you know that type of prayer. Maybe in a situation where this faith is revealed, there, there's this famous encounter about Martin Luther. Um, in 1505, there's a thunderstorm. He's in Germany, and it changed the course of history. As Martin Luther was returning from his family's home where he was studying law, his father was a lawyer. He was going to be a lawyer. <clears throat> he would be a public defender, but not in the traditional sense. He was caught in a storm. A, a thunder rumbled. Lightning nearly struck him. Luther vowed as he huddled under a tree to become a monk if he survived. He did survive. And he kept his promise by entering St. Augustine's monastery. Eventually, he would rightly know and trust the fullness of the true God, and he would devote his life to making him and his truths known. You, you may know Martin Luther as the one who, who picked a fight with the Catholic Church of the day by hammering some statements on a door that started what we call the Protestant Reformation, Reformation which pointed the, the church back to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, sitting us rightly under this book, not over top of it. See, we don't see this official make any promises, but you bet that he would have. Jesus, that is Jesus, right? You, you have to come home with me. I, I'll, do, I'll do whatever. Just, just heal my son. I'll follow you. I'll join the way. Whatever it takes. What, money? Whatever it takes, please just heal my son. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Right? See, Jesus addresses the desperation of the man with an observation about his faith, about what he believes in, about what he believes true. And, it, and it's not really just to the man, but I think it's kind of like, uh, like you know, you, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's an indictment against his faith. When we talk about faith, what we mean is, is belief. And there's definitions, and sure, faith is believing in things that you can't see and all these things, right? So belief, trust, these words are in some ways interchangeable, right? Distinct, but, but faith isn't just a spiritual term. And so if you, if you hear people talking about faith, most of the time it's in a room like this, or it's some theological uh, or spiritual word, but, but it doesn't have to be. Like, you demonstrate faith all the time. Like, faith that when you apply the brake in your car, that it will stop. And it's an incredible amount of faith. You demonstrate faith in other ways. Uh, you, you demonstrate faith when, when you come to a, a, a green light and you don't slow down and you just go through it, assuming that somebody else has a red light. When you get in an airplane, you're demonstrating lots of faith in lots of people, not just the pilot, but the people who constructed the thing, the people that you're in the, the air with. When you walk into a building or you cross a bridge, you put your faith in architects and builders and, and, and you pay uh, monthly payments to insurance providers, putting loads of faith in them. And that faith gets tested. You put faith in, in doctors and you put faith in payroll to cut the check after you work the hours. What Jesus is doing is he's illuminating, shining light on 
an unseen kingdom. That's what he came to do. That's what he's doing. It's the overlap of seeing and believing. Of I need to see it, then I will believe it. And he does this time and time again. He's always forcing us to wrestle with our faith, with our belief, with our trust, with our, our confidence. And sometimes he contrasts what's believed with what's seen. And sometimes they work together, seeing is believing type stuff. But he's always elevating faith apart from sight at the end of his ministry. Like he's called like doubting Thomas. And, and everybody's like, Jesus, this is a spoiler, so you know, Jesus dies at some point, but then he comes back to life. And, and everybody's like, you're not going to believe this. And Thomas is like, you got that right. And he said, I'm not going to believe it until I put my finger in his scars. And Jesus is like, what was that? He just showed up in the room. Thomas is like, whoa. And, and Jesus says these words to him. He's like, you believe because you see. But, but man, the type of faith that believes without seeing, that's the faith I'm looking for. So he rebukes belief that's only based upon seeing. That doesn't mean that it's blind or ignorant. It can be informed, but, but nearly everyone has that type of faith. You, not, you may not know it, right? You may not know it about yourself, but, but put yourself in the right or the wrong situation or scenario, and you'll believe whatever you need to until you're out of things to hope in. Life and death, you will believe whatever you need to until literally everything, every other option, is, is it's the Hail Mary, it's why people undergo high-risk medical procedures. And it's why you see in movies or in your life, a doctor say, look, this has only been done one time in, in the entire world. And you say, it, it's, we'll do it. No, but the risks are great. We'll do it. Why would you do that? Because there's literally no other option. You come to the end of your options. It's why quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, Matthew Stafford, it's why he would drop back and he would throw a 60-yard bomb Hail Mary, knowing it's going to get picked off by Jesse Bates to secure the game for the Bengals. Why would he do that? Because the game plan didn't work. The personnel didn't work. It was over. This official was a man of means. Money, he had it. Access to the highest power in the land, he had it. He had the king's ear, access to the best physicians. He had them. And because he had all of those things, we can assume that he, he probably tried them. He didn't just like, oh, son, you're sick. Uh, let me get the magic man from the wedding. And yet he finds himself desperate, so desperate that he would plead with a man who all he knows about him is that, that he has a small band of misfits hanging around him and that, that, he, that he did a, a trick at a local wedding a few weeks back, why would this elite government official trust this lowly carpenter? Why would he do that? Because he's a desperate man. That's why he would do that. So some reflection for us as we think about that, like what do you lean on before you become desperate? And for, for some of us, it might be a lot. You might say, wow. I have safety net after safety net after safety net. I have status, means. Even if I didn't, I have so much 
family, friends. Before I found myself desperate, there would, there would need to be a lot of nets cut. But in, in any room, what are the things that, that you think give you leverage or control or power or the upper hand or, or a voice? Maybe it's some talent or, or an image that you have or, or looks or skill or, or a degree or experience or any of, of those things. It's really important that we reflect on those things because... It's important to consider beyond that because as we'll see, this can actually be an obstacle to the type of faith that Jesus requires of us. A type of faith where there's no hiding and there's no excuse making. And the beauty of the gospel is what we get to offer Jesus is nothing. But see, it's, it's really tough because what you have to offer Jesus is nothing. And we think it's all of these other things. This is why Jesus says it's, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into heaven. Hyperbolic, for sure. American and trying to follow Jesus is such an obstacle to a life fully devoted to Jesus. It's so often in the here and now we are comfortable and we are full and we don't need God to get through the day because these hands are quite good enough to give me what I need. Until we are brought low to the end of all of those things and we really find out what we have and what we trust in See, many ask God for things, for stuff. But they don't live as if he's God. You know, they say of those that win the lottery and win millions, like their lives by and large just, are just destroyed. And you think, how is that possible? Because I think $100 million would basically solve all of my problems. Well, why is that? Because... It ruins lives because you suddenly have new best friends that you never knew that you had before. And you suddenly have family members that, man, they just really love you. Why is that? Because people use people to get what they want. And look, if you're sitting here finding yourself saying, yeah, they do. Like, we can say that we do. And we approach God the same way, and it's a real problem. See, our lack of desperation in the way we engage with God, it exposes our faith and our, our desperation in moments like these expands our faith in the direction where God might be found. Sometimes desperation is the tool that God uses to reshape our faith. And the second thing that we see in this is, is desperation is the seed of faith. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Right? He, he didn't do it the way that the guy was saying, no, you have to Come home with me. And Jesus is like, ah, da 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 Just go and, and, and your son will live. And, and then we see this again, that the man demonstrates faith. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. The man believed Jesus. He didn't have any other options, so he went on his way. Does this guy believe that Jesus is the son of God, savior of the world? I don't know. Doesn't, it doesn't maybe seem like that. 
Does he believe that Jesus is the forgiver of sins and that he himself is a sinner in need of forgiveness? Does he believe that, that Jesus is the one who holds all things together? Do you believe that? This guy, it doesn't seem like he does, but my guess is at this point, he is just mostly concerned with his urgent, his pressing need. Will my son live or will he die? And what are you going to do about it? It's understandable. If God can, then he should, right? And at the same time, this way of thinking has some obvious uh, fault lines, some obvious difficulties. People don't like death. No one does. And yet, humans in our, in our current form, we're not going to live forever. So we have this issue and so we ask questions, is Jesus a failure if he doesn't heal this boy on this day? Is Jesus a failure if he doesn't heal everyone every time? Is he a failure if he doesn't answer every request with yes? Is he a failure if, he, uh, if his ways are not my ways? That's a tough one. Is Jesus a failure if his ways are not your ways? For some, this is your stumbling block to faith. It's the baseline, and, and you don't even know it. So what you call faith in God is actually maybe faith that God thinks, acts, and does exactly what I want him to do every single time. What we, what we find is that our faith in God is actually faith that we are God. And, and here's the thing, though. What was moments ago a blind faith and literally anything out there is somehow expanded to a, a seed of faith that has room to grow into the fruit of faith. No matter what the official thinks of Jesus, he hears his word and he goes on as if he trusts it, as if he believes that Jesus, uh, as if he takes Jesus at his word. He demonstrates a seed of faith beyond his momentary desperation, no longer kind of anyone out there heal him, but you right here healed him. Or you right here healed him? Now, where does that meet us? Well, as it relates to physical healing, sure, God can heal. God does heal. God has healed. He may heal. He doesn't have to. And believe it or not, I, I don't think that this passage is about uh, physical healing. It, it is. Sure, it, the, the, sure it is. But it's... it's it's bigger than that, right? Jesus is painting with a broader brush, a wider picture of kingdom realities. Jesus uses the desperation of a high-ranking member of the king's court to bring him low, to call upon Jesus, to hear Jesus for his faith, to be reshaped and transformed by the, by the word Jesus offers, even though he has yet to see it in action. 
What was desperate faith alone has now expanded into a seed of legitimate faith in the word of Jesus that he has done or that he will do what he said that he would. And it doesn't happen in the way that he requests. Come with me. Jesus said, I'll do it from here. Do you believe that Jesus has done what he said he will do? It's like really challenging. That by, by grace through faith alone, he has carried your sin and he's giving you a righteousness credit before God the Father that, that never goes away. That as God looks at you morning, noon, night, you're white as snow. That all of the sin that you've done against him, against others, against yourself, it's just gone? Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that Jesus has taken sin's shame and punishment and guilt and he's buried it? That you are acquitted for all eternity before the God of the universe not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is? Do you believe that he didn't just overlook your sin, but that he took your sin and he took the full wrath of God? That he died the penalty of sin for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that by his resurrection he overcame death and he overcame sin and he's given you a new life that has overcome this world and that even through death will be your life long into eternity with God and his people? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus will do what he's promised to do? The things yet to come? That he will return to call his people home? That he will establish a kingdom where there are no more tears and pain and injustice and, and no more disunity and no more torture and no more sting of death and no more longing from any place of void whatsoever. Do you believe that is your reality secured in Christ today? Not just some future day far off. We must become desperate for Jesus, knowing that there's no other way to gain life than to lose ours and behold his. See, sometimes desperation is the tool that God uses to reshape our faith. And the last thing, desperation is the fruit of faith. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him, this is the, the official told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour. So, I mean, can you imagine? So it seems like he's like a, a day away. He's coming in and they, they greet him or what, to the official, what, whatever's going on there. Hey, you won't believe it. He, he's well. Like he's on the mend. He's, he's going to make it. He doesn't leap for joy or maybe he does. 
tears of excitement. We, like, fill in the gaps. We, we don't know. But this isn't just some sterile, like, uh, your son is well. Oh, he is well. At what hour? Did, right? They weren't even speaking the king's English. Why would you be reading it in that accent? So you imagine there's emotion. It's gripping. Cab driver, can, you, can this thing go any faster? I've got to get home to see my son. I've got to find out if he's well or not. What do you mean there's a delay? Let's go, let's go. And he gets home, and they meet him, and they say, your son is well. What, what, what time? What time did he start getting well? About one o'clock yesterday. Like you imagine in that moment, all of the faith that he put in, just heal him and, and can you just make, oh, he's going to be well. It, it shifted. And it was sifted. And the reforming that Jesus was doing to this interaction and the Spirit's work, it became full grown. His faith became full grown. He believed before, but remember, uh, let me read on. The father knew that it was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household believed. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So, so he believed before, but, but remember, why is John writing any of this to, to us, right? He's writing to them for us. Why is he doing that? So that you may believe. So that the one who reads this may believe. For this guy, the sign which transformed his faith was a sick son made well. For us, it's a sick son made well. And it's an empty tomb which shows us the bigger picture of death's defeat to teach us he will say to our broken bodies, arise and join me in life forevermore. He clearly has in mind some, some greater element of belief that, that transcends, heal my sick boy. The man believed this day in not only himself, but his entire household. See, Jesus was spreading the mission of the kingdom. And we see all these analogies that the kingdom's like a mustard seed, and it's the smallest of all seeds. And, it, and, and what we see is this faith, this faith journey that he's on, that the official's on, it starts small. It's not even there. It's in the wrong thing. It's in the, the wrong soil, in the wrong field. But it starts small and it's planted and it begins to grow. And this kingdom begins to grow. Not only to this official, but to his whole household and those around him. In time, in this book, we will talk about suffering with purpose. Like questions like, what if he didn't heal? And why... Why didn't he heal me? But here Jesus has used suffering, which leads to desperation to expand faith, to plant a seed of faith that will, that will now go and bear the fruit of faith. He and his entire household behold the one who came to lift this world from the grip of death. And, and the faith seems not only for what he has done demonstrated power over sickness and space and time and, and biology and, and pandemics and all of the other things. But, but this time, his belief is in Jesus for, for who he is. 
And maybe you've endured suffering that has led to desperation and you've probably hated it, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be our heart's response, right? I'm not saying this is all easy and just do this, right? Like we, we've probably hated it and maybe we've grown bitter and maybe we've grown distant from, from the Lord, from our neighbor, from our family, from ourselves in some way. I just invite us to reflect and ask if God has, has simply taken all of your lifelines away to show that he alone is the way and the truth and the life. And for you and for this man, like the win, sure, the win is that the boy is made well, but maybe your problem won't be removed. Like I don't want you to think that this is just the way of the kingdom because we see time and time and time again where things work out in other ways. The win, maybe your problem isn't removed, maybe it is, but if you are desperate for him above all things, then your faith is, is full grown. And, and this is the second sign, that's what it says, right? The second movement of, of revelation of who Jesus is, of who the Christ is. He's more than a, a sleight of hand street magician. He didn't snap his fingers or wave a wand or say hocus pocus or, or use a prop. He speaks and his creation conforms. He's not doing magic tricks to gain a crowd. He's not trying to be the greatest showman. He's revealing his power to paint a picture for the official and his son, his family, the disciples around him, and, and maybe for the onlooker man. But the mural is bigger than this little scene. This week in, in um, staff meeting, we... we usually kick the text around me, Scott, and Matt, and what's there and what's not, and application, implication, gospel connection, whatever, kick it around. And, and um, I think it was Scott, he, he said something about this that I think is so true. See, we readily set our place in this story as the dad. Right? M most of us were listening to this as as the dad, right? But we are, we are much more likely the son desperate and dying. When we find ourselves there, we have, we have one hope in this life and it probably isn't anything that you can buy or win or maybe even hold. It's in a risen Savior who invites us to cling to him and to let that desperation produce the fruit of faith which overcomes this world in, in the high and the low, in the broken and the restored, in the dreams realized and the dreams shattered. He is enough today and he is enough forever. And so my question is, is what if you didn't have to nearly cut your finger off or have an ailing child, or face jail time, or, or whatever, and you, and you found yourself still yet so desperate to be near to God that he was your first response, that he was your deepest longing, that he was your greatest joy. That, the band can come up. May all other hopes fade. May our desperation for all other things flee. And may, may 
this be the most pressing reality to believe and, and desperate to behold Jesus above all. And may that desperation drive us to put him on display for all to see. He is the one who makes all things new. Sometimes desperation is the tool that God uses to reshape our faith. And that's the invitation that we have today. Man, you, you're probably somewhere along a spectrum, Right? It's not all or nothing. It's somewhere in between. And let the Spirit sift you in this today. If you're in Christ, trust in Him, we get to remember the gospel that we just heard about, the truth of Jesus, and we get to declare that same truth, His victory over death, by taking communion, the, the, the cup, the juice that reminds us of His blood that was spilled for us, that our blood didn't have to be spilled and the wafer that reminds us of his body, that our body didn't have to be destroyed because his was. We can respond. You can sit right where you are. You can stand and sing. You can pray at that prayer bench by yourself. You can pray by that red tree. Someone would love to pray with you. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for just the way you chose to reveal yourself throughout time and even in this room today. Would you let this be timely? Would you, let it, would you let it soften hardened hearts? Would you let it bring us low? And would you let it build us up? Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.